0: You're listening to Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's
1: J.D. Burke and Andrew Waden.
2: Oh, okay. I was wondering what the I, I'm so used to like our hip hop beats coming back. I thought maybe you had a bed running underneath. What what do we got today? What's this?
3: This is more uh, butthole surfers. No, this is not the butthole surfers. Okay. This is uh, single mothers. Uh, just got into them pretty recently. The band right. that is and. Um, Deep cuts. <laughs> we're going with the deep cuts this week. And that song would be Ketamine. Oh, great <laughs> anyway. I don't even know what to say to that. Uh, welcome back to Ringquiet. It's the you show. Asked. I don't know.
2: What are you playing songs with the title Ketamine in them?
3: I don't know, because I assume our audience aren't baby brained infants. Okay.
2: Uh it's the show that always scores. Apparently, uh, I don't know if we did there, but uh I did. We are gonna talk to Thomas Drance, Harmon Dial, Athletic uh, Vancouver Canucks reporters in just a moment. They're on the line. I see them there. But I'll tell you what. They did this thing called the Sedin Cup, where they basically picked players from the Canucks. As it was over the last decade, right?
3: Salary cap era.
2: Salary cap era Canucks. Yeah. So, for instance, you could take uh, Matthias Olin's oh six, oh seven season, put him on your team. You could take... Uh, Hendrik Sedin's 09 10 season, you know, Pavel Dimitra's 08 09. Like, you, you see what I'm getting at here. And basically, they did a draft and they filled out rosters amongst these players. Now, when I initially saw this piece on The Athletic, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, get on it. You need to be doing that. I looked at Harmon's team and went, you know what, JD? This isn't even going to be a series. This and, is going to be a sweep.
3: And as always, you were wrong. Uh, Dom's model actually.
2: That's actually a pretty good line. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to give you that.
3: And Dom's (laughs) model, if memory serves, actually gave Drance a bit of an edge.
2: This is where I have... Okay, let's bring him in. Uh, Harmon Dowell, Thomas Drance here with us on Rinkwide. Gentlemen, thanks for joining.
0: Thanks for having us.
2: Uh, Harmon, I do want to get to the crisis beard, but we got other fish to fry right now. Uh, <laughs> but we will talk about that at the end of the conversation here.
3: You look like you've seen some stuff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, never mind, oh, quarantine. After that series. Yeah, exactly. Well, so it looks like you're a war zone reporter. Never mind hockey. I'm like. just surprised he could grow one. That's all. Uh, okay, so looking at, tell everybody what the premise of this whole thing is. I kind of broke it down a little bit there, but Dranser, you start. Uh, how did this whole thing uh, come
1: about?
0: Well, sort of the moment that hockey stopped being played. You know the importance of dom's model in kind of projecting the rest of the season um sort of became paramount at the athletic and you know as i sort of saw what he was doing simulating games i figured mm, maybe we could apply this model to you know build out essentially a competitive series between harman and i um you know something like uh, dungeons and dragons but for hockey nerds and That's effectively what we did. Dom played Dungeon Master and we were able to draft, you know, cap compliant Canucks teams from the cap era. And, you know, Harmon got, I mean, look, and I had an unfair advantage because Harmon was like four for some of these seasons, right? Um, I mean, he could still grow an impressive beard in grade school. And uh, whereas I sort of had a a pretty uh, clear memory. Those were all sort of seasons that happened, you know, after I graduated high school. Um, So, you know, I knew that I had a little bit of an advantage. Harmon got the first pick, though, and really there's five elite pieces. So that sort of put me a little bit behind the eight ball, but I was able to overcome it uh, with a slew of dirty tricks. And, uh, you know, I, I essentially managed to flesh out a team that had a way better blue line, better goaltending, and better depth than as we all do. Uh, often, once you get to a seven-game series and things get unpredictable and tight, um, you know, a good defense often makes the difference. And it did in the sitting cup.
3: And how did Dom react when you tried to take Travis Green 2019-20 with your second overall pick?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, I I did try to, throughout the piece, right, we sort of were mimicking a variety of tweets and, and sort of color around the games, so I made sure to have a coach. Who talked exactly like green right like oh it's tough okay. i noticed <laughs> and so that was my hat tip honestly that was my hat tip to you jd which was obviously we didn't pick coaches but it was my joke that if we if we had i would have picked the current one obviously i would have actually picked ellie but um nonetheless sure. uh, that was my that was my way of giving you a little nod my good friend okay
2: so harm your top six consisted of uh Pedersen, Miller, Besser on your top line, Kessler, Danny Sedin and Tyler Tofoli on your second line. Now it was Kessler's uh 10-11 season, 10-11 season for Sedin, 1920 clearly for Miller, uh 1920 for Pedersen, uh 17-18 for Besser and 1920 for T- Tofoli. Now, you got Tofoli late though. Did you not in this draft and uh kind of sort of thinking outside the box, but my other question, though, is like, how did you lose this? Like, look at that team, man! You had the West Coast Express as your third line.
1: Yeah, I think at the end of the at the end of the day, what happened was you could clearly see um, I was sort of building my team out offensively, and I tried to accumulate as much elite talent as I could uh, up front, and then sort of bank on the fact that um, I still obviously Drance's blue line was elite, but I, I felt in in prime Edler, Ham, Houston, Tanev um, and Willie really Mitchell, that I still had quality defensive defenseman, um, and so I felt it was the classic offense versus defense uh, battle, in, in my opinion. And then what essentially happened was uh, I, I felt confident going in, uh, going into the series. I think I was projected. It was really tight. I think I was projected with a couple more points, um, and and so therefore, I think entering the series, I actually had fifty-six percent odds.
0: But at the end of the day,
1: when it's that close in a seven-game series, really anything can happen. And I think we've seen throughout the, the past few years, past decade, in, throughout all of NHL history, really that um, when it comes to a seven-game series and it's so close, um, a team that has a slight advantage isn't always one that's going to uh, click at the right time. And I think ultimately what happened was um, my my offense sort of, was negated to an extent. Um, At the end, it went to seven games, which says all you need to know about how close it was. But uh, at the end of the day, I I don't think the outcome really changes um, how I feel about my team. I still – I'd go with it again in a seven-game series, and I'm sure Drance would feel the same way about his team. Uh,
2: Guys, I feel like that if you had have taken all these players from the specific years that you uh, picked – and then put it into like an EA hockey game that, and you know, played out a simulation of it there. I feel like Harm's team would have won that series, but I could be wrong about that. But Dranser, you came back from a three-one deficit in this series. Like, who blows a two-game lead
0: in the Stanley Cup final? <laughs> yeah, no, and you know, I think there's a couple important things um, that occurred. One is, you know, it was really important to make sure that Harmon, who's had such an electric start to his career, Um, was put in his place and sort of reminded uh, that he's got a lot of work to do in terms of gaining the experience he needs to, you know, really come out on top in this kind of competition. Um, The the other thing is, you know, and it was funny because as we sort of played it out, Canucks fans naturally gravitated to Harmon's team, right? Because they saw in these sort of ill fated You know, attract like they played attractive hockey. They were skilled. They were exciting. They sort of captured the imagination of the readers and people sort of saw my team as the bad guys, which I just think tells you so much about Canucks history, Canucks fans, um, and was really sort of a funny part of the whole whole sort of endeavor. The fact that Harmon's team sort of became the face team and my team became the heel team, and as we know, when it comes to Vancouver hockey, uh, the heel team is never the Canucks, (laughs) and the heel team. always seems to win.
3: Well, uh, one of the really interesting things here was looking back at some of the the blue line pieces that made your group such a a, a fierce unit. I mean, like Kevin Bieksa 2011-12, Christian Ehrhoff 2010-11. Do you really think that that blue line gets enough credit for how good it was? I mean, let's not get lost in the weeds here and go year by year, but I mean, that group 2010-11 to about 2011-12 it kind of seems like they had a number two defenseman on every single pairing, even if they lacked <laughs> that elite uh, Shea Weber type. And, and I'm using him as an example because that was the, the topic of the, the, the town every summer, right? How are they going to yeah. get him? But uh, do you think <laughs> that that group got enough credit?
0: Well, no. Uh, not only did they not, but I think when you look at that group from you know nine years on, right, don't they look modern? In terms of you know Edler, Erhoff, the exa was like these were all guys who could skate. Andrew Albert sort of was the only old school defender on a blue line that you know it, it played in a league that the defensive defenseman was still very much a thing. Like there was no sort of the move to you know all six guys who can skate and transition the puck kind of was happened more four or five years on right, like 2015, 16, sort of when. You know those guys who are getting beat out wide really started to get exposed on a game-in, game-out basis, and it became really such a speed league, Um, and that's when you sort of see the Carlson sort of put in these playoff performances that were sort of reminiscent of what you might have seen guys like Chris Pronger do a decade earlier, and so I think one thing that sort of sticks out to me when I consider the legacy of that West Coast Express team, and Obviously, that West Coast, uh, sorry, that West Coast, the 2011 sort of Canucks core. When I Embrace think about that, the hate the, era. The embrace the hate era. I love it. Um, when you think about the embrace the hate era, like what really stands out to me is the fact that, you know, 10 years on, you look back and that blue line has this modern look that was really distinct in the NHL at the time. Uh, but over the years has aged to be sort of what is a template. Most teams now um, in in the contemporary NHL environment,
2: uh, Harm. If you had to make a decision on one of the players, you know that you didn't take, who would it be? Who who could have been a difference maker for you to have won the series?
1: I think hundred um, percent the the biggest pick um, I regret. I mean, there were a couple. I think uh, first of all, even even number one going uh, with Pedersen over Henrik. I figured. I, I think I under—I think I overestimated um, the the cap, the, the cap component of it. I think both of our teams were uh, pretty comfortably under, and, and um, I actually thought that you know the the e- Pedersen being on his ELC versus Henrik at his six point one million uh, cap hit or whatever it was uh, might be a difference maker for me in the end. It wasn't, and um, I think in hindsight. Um, it wasn't worth the cap savings. I would have taken Henrik, but more importantly, I think the biggest one uh, that I messed up was definitely um, missing out on Jovanovski over Garrison. I think what happened there was again, um, we I think we had like an hour forty five minutes of research before before starting the draft, so we kind of went in blind. Um, and I actually didn't even get to get to see the rosters before. I think it was 10-11. So I was kind of like, I obviously remember the West Coast Express guys right off the top of my head, but I actually totally forgot that Jovanovski was eligible in the draft, and so I completely missed him, and then Drant took him right after. So um, if I could take one pick back, um, I, I would have taken Jovanovski over Garrison.
3: Well, just shifting gears from, from your two lineups, and we're going to close out with a conversation about uh, the Canucks of today, uh, such as they exist anyway. Uh, there's a lot of talk right now about Nikita Triamkin in the market, whether he'll sign, what that would cost, whether it's a worthwhile uh, venture for the Canucks. Tom, I know you love tall defensemen that make mistakes, but I just want to hear both of your <laughs> takes on the possibility of Nikita Triampkin coming back to town.
0: Yeah, look, I think it's going to happen. I mean, I, I think there's interest from both sides. And as a result, I think if the numbers work and... You know, I do think it'll be a one year deal, and I know a lot of people reacted to the idea that Inter-Am can wouldn't be interested in Utica with some derision, but that's how leverage works, right? Like, that's how leverage works for international free agents who are going to get European out clauses um, in their deals, whether they're entry level deals or, you know, one or two way deals. Um, that's pretty common practice at this point. Like, if you're getting a European free agent, they're generally going to get that. Um, because that's sort of the cost of bringing them over. It's just like burning a year of a guy's college deal. If you want the player, uh, that's sort of the business reality that teams deal with. And it's not just Vancouver. There's no holding the fort and getting a better deal. Like that's the cost of it. And that's because otherwise a guy can continue to play in Russia and make good money. And so, you know, I think it's going to happen. I suspect it'll be a one, one way deal. Um, and, and we'll sort of see what that looks like. Uh, you know, Tramkin, to me anyway, profiles like a guy who could be a high-end penalty killer, but who I don't think is going to play, you know, above a third-pair role at five-on-five five, um, for Vancouver, whether that's in his first year or going forward. And you know, it's just about sort of making sure that that, that price makes sense. We have, we saw, obviously, that the Canucks were able to find, you know, a pretty decent third-pair guy in Oscar Fantenberg, just with sort of solid pro scouting and, you know, found him just above the veteran minimum. And we also saw Vancouver sign a guy in Jordy Ben who had stellar underlying numbers and profiled like he'd be a fantastic fit. And then it didn't quite work out. And that was a $2 million sort of cap hit. So, you know, in and around that area between those deals or or even at the Jordy Ben cap hit, uh, you know, so long as the deal's not too long, I don't think there's a ton of downside there, even though I'm not, you know, holding out big hopes for Triamkin being a decision maker. Or sorry, a difference maker.
3: Let's let's get Harmon's take on the situation. Uh, I mean, Tom, of course, cowardly ran away to Florida during the lean years. Oh. Harmon,
2: <laughs> cowardly, talking, he was smart.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I'm just I'm just razzing wa- my good. Watching now. watching too much of Stanchion's smear campaign. Yes, <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> but Harmon, you actually had to to suffer through that era of the Canucks, just like the rest of us. You earned your stripes, and uh, you got to see the wonder. Uh, That was Nikita Triamkin trying to move a puck. Uh, I think the eighth wonder of the world. Um, What do you think about the prospects of him returning to an NHL lineup?
1: Look, I think when he played out his rookie year uh, under Willie Desjardins, you can see that he had a really raw skill set. And I think what was enticing about him was... um, Maybe the idea of, with a couple of years of development, he could really blossom into uh, a quality d- defender on the on the back end. And I think the, uh, I think what you saw were definitely growing pains when you talk about again his ability to move the puck. Uh, his underlying numbers suggested that he was roughly replacement level, so he wasn't. Um, he was right on the fringes of being an NHL player in his rookie year. Uh, the problem really is when he went over to went back to the KHL and his first season back, he had uh, 25 points in 51 games and it looked like, you know, maybe he's taking a step forward in his development. But since then, if anything, he's regressed in the two seasons. He hasn't come close to matching those point totals. His minutes have dropped. Um, he was stripped of his captaincy. Uh, he really hasn't had a, had a smooth go of it in the KHL. And when you watch him defensively, the one thing you he notices, uh, he plays a really passive style and, and you wonder about, his, uh, his, his own zone play at the NHL level, even despite the, the size and strength that he has to his game, I can, as Tom alluded to, I can see him being uh, a quality penalty killer. But beyond that, I'm not sure how much upside there is in Tramkin. Uh, to me, I, I see most likely a number 6-7 type defenseman at the NHL level. And um, I, I think from my perspective... Look, there's there's no real downside to it. I mean, it it's worth a shot, but I wouldn't be holding out um, any real hope for for him to make much of uh, much of a mark at the NHL level beyond beyond the type of impact someone like Oscar Fantenberg gave you. Well,
2: gentlemen, great stuff. Congratulations, Drance, on winning the uh, first ever Sedin Cup and uh thank harm. You, thank you. Uh, congratulations on the beard didn't know you could grow it it's there I see it you look like a member of a boy band or something right now but uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey you did it right so uh, I, boys I, I, for life Ban- that's right no, there bo- you go
0: bo- boy band genius yeah there yes. you go there you go <laughs> uh,
2: gentlemen as always thanks for joining and have uh, yourself a great weekend
0: thanks for having us gentlemen thanks Cheers. Guys, you too Cheers.
2: In in quarantine, that is. It's so yeah. weird when you say "have a great weekend" and then you realize how absurd that statement is.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what are you doing with your weekend? <laughs> I'm going home. I don't you know, building some furniture, I guess. Like, bur-
2: oh, see, I wish I had some furniture to build right now.
3: Yeah, I've I uh, just, uh, I've got a, a bed frame that came in. Pretty exciting. There you Pretty go. Exciting.
2: You're a downtown kid nowadays, I am, too. I am. I am. Had a boy. Uh, yeah, but if you guys want to check out Harmon's uh, uh, beard, and he does. I, I don't know if it's the way he's posing for the photo or whatever, but I feel like he should be like part of Backstreet Boys or something like that.
3: Uh, I don't even. What's I
2: a new boy band, by the way, Croker? You would know.
3: I, why would Croker now? One Direction. One
2: was? Direction. That's, that's oh, that.
0: I, I don't think anymore, though.
2: No more, eh? Oh, there you go. Harmon could start one. There's, a, there's an opening in the industry right now. On the other side, it's JD's Manifesto. Please tell me you have something sports-related this week. Uh, no. Ah, we look forward to that. That's on the other side. It's Rinkwide. It's the show that, uh, I don't know if it's going to score on the next segment, but we'll see. Yeah, God
3: forbid somebody have an interest outside of hockey while the world is ending.
2: On TSN 1040.